0: like that and uh, I was showing off a little bit and I didn't make that last step and I landed on my face way out there on the platform and uh, my wife told me if I ever did that again that I was going to be in trouble so I'm going to behave trying to get in and out of the pulpit this week. I want to uh, say thank you again for the opportunity to come and preach at this church and by the way that was 2001. 2011, yeah. I, you're, you're not that far ahead of me. I was 10 years and you're what, 11 plus? Yeah, okay. So I, you have to forgive younger people sometimes. They don't have as good a memory as we old folks do, amen? Uh, I uh, I always consider it a blessing to come and preach here at 10 Mile. It's, uh, it's like coming home and uh, there's very few Uh, preachers that I've ever known that I love like I love your pastor here and so uh, uh, an opportunity to come be with him is just a special thing for me. I have been uh, up until last weekend in fact I've been the interim of uh, a church where I was at for 16 years at Salem Missouri. I was there for eight months while they found a pastor and uh, during that time didn't have a whole lot to do and I did a lot of research not just based upon uh, what I was seeing there at that church, but also what I'm seeing uh, in Springfield, where I now live. And uh, there's, uh, I think there's 87 Southern Baptist churches in Springfield, Missouri. And so uh, there's a lot to study if you really want to do a study. And the reason that I was studying was because it appears that the church of today is in bad need of something but uh, we can't put our finger on it somehow to find out exactly what that something is. Now, I know you all have been on quite a run here and have got good attendance and, and uh, uh, everything's uh, looking up for you, and I'm glad for that. But let me also remind you that that makes you almost uh, unique in this day and time. Many churches are, are not even recovered from COVID in any sense of the word yet. And besides that, we're watching churches, especially Southern Baptist churches, close at an alarming rate. Uh, it's amazing how many churches we're losing per year. And uh, it, it follows that we're, we're losing that many folks who are sitting in the pews and making decisions, sending missionaries and those sort of things. And so it's a, it's a big, big problem. And so I began to look at what the differences were in churches that had recovered in churches that, uh, for some reason, cannot recover. And what I have determined is there's two factors, two really major factors that uh, lend itself to this. First of all, there is. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the word that I want to look for here because it's not. Uh, uh, it's not. It's hard for me to say this the way that I felt that after I did all the research on it, did a lot of research. um, One of the the major factors, and again, you don't know anything about this because you've got this young man here and he preaches like a house of fire every time he gets in the pulpit. But one of the major factors is uh, preachers are also leaving ministry at an alarming rate. Folks who had preached for years are getting out. They're doing other things. One young man that I was aware of, I, I mentored him years ago, and he was in St. Louis, Missouri at a church that he had started. The church prospered, was doing fairly well. And the, just recently I saw where he had resigned that church, decided he didn't want to be in ministry anymore, and he was an Uber driver. Well, there's nothing wrong with being an Uber driver, but uh, the the Lord certainly needs some good churches, amen, and some good pastors to pre- preach in them. So I, I I started watching things, you know, this this. YouTube business is so neat. Uh, and I know you young folks that grew up with stuff like this, that's it's just old hat for you. But for me, it's like a, a light came on one day, and I looked, and I wow, look at that. Look at what you can do and, and what you can see. So I started listening to preachers on uh, uh, YouTube around the, the country, especially Springfield and Missouri and Illinois, any church that I knew something about. I started watching their services just to see what the preaching was like. And what I'm seeing in most places are people who are standing in the pulpit, or sitting on a stool in the pulpit, rather, and uh, they're, they're teaching a really good Sunday school class, and that's sufficing for their worship experience for the week. And I might add to that, that in many cases, those are the churches that have no Sunday night service. Nothing going on on Wednesday night. They just have Sunday morning, and they can't figure out why their churches are not recovering the second reason that I came across, and I really think that this is, a, I'm going to preach about it this morning, I really think this is a major cause, is because in this society that uh, we, we see all around us today, it, it is changing for the worse very quickly. Now, you say, that's such negativity, Brother John, we don't need negativity. Well, Sugar Booger, you hang on, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of negativity if you'll just listen The way that this world is going right now, I I fear that some of our youngsters, some of our, uh, some of our, we older folks, our grandchildren are not going to know the world that we knew it at at all. So uh, here's the cause for it. People are trying to enter the kingdom of God, surrendering some things in their life. Did you hear that? They're trying to get into the kingdom by surrendering some things to God. What's wrong with that? You can't do that without surrendering everything to God. So I want to talk to you today about absolute surrender how to surrender your life in such a way that revivals won't be needed. Because you won't have time for them to be so busy with other things. And, and what to do with all the new converts and the baptisms and all that sort of thing. But absolute surrender is not an easy thing to come across. Now I grew up not far from here in West City, Illinois. How many of you know about West City? You probably don't know it like I do. When I grew up there, there were three churches and 17 taverns up and down the street there. That's what it was known for, all those taverns. It was a pretty wild place, and there was a, a lot of wild kids that I lived around there, and one of them was named Leroy, Leroy Vernum, in fact, and Leroy was uh, a, a young man who was born on the very same day, very same year as I was. We were the exact same age, and we were in this class together, but Leroy, there was just something in him, it, just, it was just, I, I think he was, he was, it's innate, he was born that way. He just loved to fight. And even when we were little bitty kids, he was always picking fights with everybody. And he loved picking fights with me. I was a little bit smaller than him, and he kind of liked that. So, oh, Leroy, he, he, finally he just kept prodding and prodding until one day we, we decided we have ourselves a fight. Now, I wasn't really for it, but Leroy wasn't going to hear anything but that. So Leroy started out the fight. And somehow or other, I was very surprised I ended up on top. And I pinned him down and I had his arms held like that and I was sitting up on his chest and I said, you give up? He said, yeah, I give up. And I believed him. And I turned loose of his hands and I forgot Leroy was left-handed. Leroy didn't surrender at all. Only thing he surrendered was his right hand. The the rest of him was really alive and I, I got clocked in the side of the head because I believed that Leroy had given up. Sometimes... I think that we're surprised in that kind of fashion, but God is never surprised. He knows exactly who is giving up and what they're giving up. And you say, Brother John, how do you surrender partially? Well, you surrender partially when you decide you'll keep some things, the things that you really want to keep, the secrets of your life, but you'll give up those things that are so obvious to everyone else. Now you say, well, this might be the wrong crowd to preach this to, Brother John. Oh, no. No, no, no. Put your halos up. You won't need them this week. I promise you. You'll just listen. If you'll listen, God will speak to you. I'm, I'm, I'm positive of that. We live in a world of conditional surrender. I surrender, but I'm going to surrender this part of my life. We know that being saved means that we have to give up control of our lives completely and then live them under the authority of the one to whom we have surrendered. So that means that when we surrender to God, he is in charge. We don't keep anything for ourselves. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we are prisoners. we're, We're prisoners in the same sense as if we had given up all of our rights. You know, prisoners don't have a right to do this and a right to do that, They're just in prison. And that's the way we are, according to the Word of God. But we are so used to partial compliance that many of us try to extend that secular thought to living the Christ life, and it does not work. God will accept nothing but absolute surrender. Now, let me say that in a way that I know you'll understand it. God will accept... Nothing less than absolute surrender. And churches will grow accordingly. They will prosper accordingly. God does not bless partial surrender. He blesses absolute surrender. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 following. It will be our text for this morning. And that whole chapter is about surrender. But the, the word surrender doesn't really appear in the, in, in the version I'm going to be reading today. As a matter of fact, we find the word yield used, uh, even uh, instructing us, you might say, in how we ought to live as Christians. So let's read together. Would you stand with me this morning? It'll be the last time I ask you until the invitation. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we save in? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield yourself to or or your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Now I want you to see that because that word yield there does mean surrender. Surrender yourself to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin will not have dominion over you, For you are not under the law, but under grace. Pray with me, please. Father, I ask you today for clarity. Clarity of voice, clarity of mind. I pray, God, that you would endue me with your presence once again. Not because I deserve it, but because, Lord, these folks who have come to hear word from you do deserve it. So I beg you, Father, that you'd speak today, not loudly, but softly. Help them, Lord, to receive the word. Help me, Lord, in giving the word. I'm not worthy to stand here, let alone preach your word. So please, God, one more time today, again and again, I pray you will bless the message. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. You know, we're told in that passage that we're supposed to be new creatures. No longer bound by sin. We're also told that we have to die to ourselves. That instructs us how we're supposed to live as Christians. Dying to self. And we're we're told that We must surrender. That's the theme of that passage right there. Yet, people everywhere are still trying to surrender conditionally. In part of my research for what I alluded to earlier, I'm, I'm hesitating a little bit right now because I'm really afraid I'm going to make somebody awfully mad if this thing is uh, viewed by certain people. But I found even in the church where I was serving that over time that church had allowed itself to accept behavior that had an appearance of evil and not think anything about it. Because the world said it's okay. This example stands out. There were at least two people in that church that worked a second job in a bar. And the church didn't see anything evidently wrong with that. You say, well, Brother John, is there something wrong with that? I mean, after all, they serve alcohol everywhere anymore. You know, you can get alcohol in Cracker Barrel. There's a difference in a bar and a grill and a grill and a bar. Now, I'm not mincing words when I say that. If you're in a place that primarily is there to serve alcohol, you're in a bar. Y'all listening? That's where you're at. And if... <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that position in that place makes you rebellious and get to the point to where you say it doesn't matter to me what the book says. It doesn't matter to me what's preached. All that matters to me is that I serve this part of myself. This is something I need to do so I'm going to do it. Now that is what I call conditional surrender. I will obey the parts that I like, but not the parts that interfere with my everyday life. Now, there are people who try to surrender the flesh, but not the mind. How many of you know that the mind and the flesh are intertwined? You can't use the one without causing the other to be employed. But yet, it's done all the time. It's believing that you think with impunity, you can do it as long as you want to do it, even though you know that God doesn't want you to do it. It's obvious that God doesn't want you to do it. Now, Scripture itself teaches us that that's the case. It says there in Matthew 5, 27, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye offends you, pluck it out, cast it from you. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish, and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offends you, cut it off, cast it from you. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. Now here's what I want you to hear regarding that little passage of scripture right there. If something offends you, causes you to sin in the eyes of God, You don't need it in your life. It's very evident. That's what it says. And so how do you do that in this society that we're in right now? Now, listen to me. I'm not here to whack down the crowd in the first service. So you you please listen to me with an open mind. All right? The way that society convinces people to dress does affect the soul. The eye see. This is employed. Shortly the flesh responds. What am I talking about? You all don't realize this because, you know, you're, you're, you're in an area where you don't have Kearney Street, Walmart, and Springfield to go to at uh, midnight if you really wanted to go get something. But there's like five Walmarts in, in Springfield and, and the one that's close to our house is Carney Street. I was told don't go to Carney Street after 5.30. I listened to it for a long time. Finally I had to go. I want you to know that if you need something from Walmart, 10 o'clock, Kearney Street Walmart in Springfield, Missouri, you need to have blinders, or in fact, you might need just to be, have your eyes covered up and have somebody lead you through the store and tell you when you're near what you're looking for. Because you cannot believe the way some people dress, behave in Walmart at night on Carney Street in Springfield. Now, Carney Street in Springfield is not an exception. There are places like that all over this world. You can go into our, uh, Walmart at, at midnight in any place that it's open at midnight, and you're going to find the very same thing. I have seen people in Walmart that have literally not enough clothing on to cover one half of my body. Of course, that would, you know, take a that's, that's a that wasn't a big statement there, was it at all? <laughs> you, you get my point. Amen. Or. We conclude that I'm a big body, but nonetheless, there, there, there are folks there that come in with 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 things exposed that should not be exposed. And then I noticed that about February the first, every time the sun shines, the girls in Springfield all seem to drag out their shortest pair of shorts. Now Listen to me, don't get mad. If you're getting mad, it's probably getting to you. Amen? They get the shortest pair of shorts they got and and a t-shirt. And you can't see the shorts. It just looks like they're wearing a t-shirt. One came by me at Walmart the other day. Outside, it was 30 some odd degrees. And this gal come in the door and she come walking right straight past me. And all I could see was T-shirt. I looked away. And as she went by, she got right next to me. And she was going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Everything in me wanted to say, hey, dummy, put on some pants. Put something on your upper body. You, you might find it a little warmer if you just used your noggin. Amen? If they're not naked. They've got these new britches that uh, oh, everybody wants to wear. I can see men in them. <laughs> you know, men in skin-tight stuff, you know, the spandex stuff you've got to pull on like this. That, there's just something about that that you ought not see at Walmart. Amen? Men? But you know what? I don't worry about how the men look in them except, you know, the connotation that sometimes might go with that. It, it's the way the women look in those things. Now, come on. Some of you are looking at me like, go ahead and do it. And some of you are saying, ah, be careful now. How many of you know that accentuating the flesh, even if it's covered, has an effect? I used to say on the opposite sex, but sometimes nowadays it could be either one. Amen. But it has that effect. You say, oh, preacher, you ought not be talking about stuff like that. We're in church. Believe me, people in church are not exempt from the sins of the flesh. Just because they're in church does not mean that their eyes are not seeing things that cause them to lust in their heart. And you say, well, why, why does it continue that way? Why aren't Christians so separate from the world that you can really tell a difference? I'll tell you why. Partial surrender. We don't want to look like something other than the world. But friend, I got news for you. That's not surrendering to God. That's, that's saying, okay, I'll give you this much, God, but this part is off limits. I'm gonna keep this. You know, The flesh is not hard to conquer because it just takes a trip with the mind wherever, or, or, or the flesh does, it goes with the mind wherever the mind wants to take it. So here's what I want you to hear. If you learn to control the mind, then the flesh will not operate independently of it. But the eyes are the windows to the soul. Hello? Hello? You know, this would help us. If church people would start looking at the opposite sex as brothers and sisters, daughters and mothers, husbands, it would, it, it would look a, a lot better in the church and it would be a lot better served for us to do it that way because what, we, what we've allowed ourselves to do is come to church sometimes and, and use that for the lusting place in my research I found preacher after preacher after preacher who had fallen because of the lust of the flesh one of my old friends in ministry was Dr. Johnny Hunt you all know Johnny Hunt I've had him in my home a number of times Uh, uh, he's, he's I, I, I loved being around him. He had a thing in his church. Jake, I don't know if you recall this or not, but in Johnny Hunt's church, there was a, a whole department served by paid staff, and they were there to reclaim fallen ministers who had fallen in, in, in sexuality ways. But Johnny Hunt recently found himself in the same situation You said, well, he, he was just a no-good scoundrel. That's all he was. He was anointed of God. That's what he was. If you ever heard him preach, you know he was anointed of God. Took a church of 200 people and, and grew it to a church of 12,000 people and did that in the less than 20 years. That, that's, a, that's an anointing man of, uh, anointed man of God, if you ask me. That's what I believe is going on there. But these eyes... I heard a little bit of his testimony recently. The eyes started drifting toward another minister's wife. And before long, that turned into something else. I'm not going to go into detail about it because I wasn't there. Don't know. But I can tell you this. It was enough. that It caused him to surrender his, his, his preaching place and, and, and resign from a lot of things that, that he was doing for the convention you know, this was somebody that was at the epitome of of a stature in the Southern Baptist Convention, but yet that happened to him. He's not the only one. Many of them are falling that way. Do you know why? It's because of partial surrender. Whenever you say I'm going to surrender to God, what you have to say is, God, you got me, all of me, every bit of me. You've got my wallet. You've got my life. You've got my family. You've got everything. Not for me, Lord. I'm not saved for me. I'm saved for you. And you you own all of me now. So I don't keep anything back from you. Absolute surrender. That's what's needed for revival to take place. You know, in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally brethren. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now listen to what it said. Think on these things. Put your mind on these things and you won't be letting it drift to the things of the world. If you consume yourself with the things of God, you don't have time for the world. You say, but I live in the world. You do live in the world, but read your Bible. The Bible says you cannot love God and love the world. In fact, it tells you to love the world is is a sure sign that you don't love God. He said, if there's any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, you do, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, some folks just try to select. It's like you get a choice. It's like going to, uh, to order your food, and you say, oh, well, I want some of this and some of this and some of this, but, I, but I, I don't want the rest of the menu. So people try to decide which ones they're going to forfeit upon surrender. I remind you that a plot in the mind to sin is a sin itself. Does that make any sense to anybody except the preacher? If you enter into your walk with Christ thinking I'm going to do this and this and this and this I'm going to, I'm going to do that I can do that I can do that and the world won't know it and the church won't know it Brother Jake he's clueless he won't know it but friend God knows it. And when you begin to formulate things like that in your mind, what you're doing is for sure sinning. You're you're, you're plotting to sin. The Bible says sinning willfully is a big deal. We'll get to that in a minute. let's, Let's get to it right now. If you are willfully sinning, After receiving a pardon of surrender, that's where that passage comes in. And that's not surrender, by the way, that's a ceasefire. When you're just trying to keep part of it, you just decided not to fight against God. 1 John 3 4, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning, or sinned, I'm sorry, From the beginning for this purpose the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Wow. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. First John 3 9. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loves not his brother. God never saves a tongue and leaves the eyes to see wickedness. Make sense, y'all? God never saves the eyes and leaves the sins of the ears and listening to gossip and backbiting, things like that. He doesn't save you piecemeal. He saves the all of you. Complete. So you can't surrender piecemeal. You have to give it up, entire, all of it. Because one sin contaminates the whole person. Jake, I'm sure you probably don't know this because you're pretty near perfect. But through experience, I have learned that if I have any hidden away sin in my life, and I preach in the pulpit, you won't be able to tell it listening to me but you'll be able to tell it in response. You'll be able to tell it in attentiveness because God is not in the practice of giving favor to sin, even if it's in the man of God behind the desk. If God will not let a preacher be blessed, who is doing that? does it not stand to reason that he will not let an entire congregation do the like manner? He's not going to allow us favor because of who we are. I don't know the the exact statistics for right now. I knew them for last year. You know, in America right now, more than 50% of women under 50 are regular viewers of pornography. You say, "Oh, you misspoke, Brother John. You said women. No, that was intentional. If I had a pen, I'd drop it. Uh, just like that. You said, but." Not in my house. I hope not. You say, them rascally men, they must really be bad. They are. But there's not that great divide between women and men usage of pornography now. And I might add to that that there's no difference in divorce rates in the church and outside the church The things that tear up marriages, they're they're existing on the pews of America just like they are out there in the world. The the difference is the world has said, I'm not giving up anything, and, and, and many people sitting on pews of churches in America are saying, I'll give up some things, but it doesn't matter if you come to church and tithe, your perfect attendance and all that sort of stuff, if your nighttime experience is much, much different than your daytime experience hello? You say, Brother John, this is not a way to grow a crowd. You are right. But it is a way to get the truth across. Why are there not many churches prospering in America right now? Absence of preaching and partial surrender. Those are the two things that really come out boldly. You know, I heard someone say one time that a certain person was a good Christian but just had a bad mouth. By the way, it was a long time ago, but I heard it in this church. Yep, they're a good Christian, but they just got a bad mouth. Who told you, who told anybody that God would save the entire person and leave the mouth a, 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 a slime pit. No way. When God saves you, he saves you. You don't have a desire to cuss anymore. You don't have a desire to tell uh, those off-color stories anymore. If you really get saved, there's something happens inside of you that changes you to the point that people will look at you and say, what happened to you? You're different. Wouldn't it be something if the world looked at the church today and said there's something about Those folks. I'll probably use it in another message this week, but there's a man that he was a a prisoner in World War II. He's from Norway. Uh, His name was Evan Bergen. Bergrin, I'm sorry, Evan Bergren. The Nazis had, had captured him, and they had him in prison, and he was such a danger to them that they put 11 guards on him. Those 11 guards were there because Evan Bergren was also a, a bishop in a, in, a, in a Norwegian church of some sort. Probably Lutheran, but I'm not sure about that. But nonetheless, here he is. He's in prison. They put 11 people there to guard him. They don't want anybody getting to talk to him. Because everybody he talks to gets converted. So the guards, one by one. We're all converted. Every last stinking guard guarding Evan Bergeron got converted. They had to replace the whole cadre. The whole guard detail had to be replaced because nobody could stay in his presence. And they said, it's not his words that he says. It's who he is. Wouldn't it be something that people would look at us and say, the way they live their lives, that who they are, that's what matters because something had to change them. Something had to make them different. And I want to know you to know today that there was something different in the, that case, and it's always because Jesus changed their lives. They got saved. They got washed in the blood of Jesus. They are different creatures. They're not the same any longer. Now let me talk to you briefly today about the argument for absolute surrender. True surrender is an admission of guilt. How many of us like to say, I'm guilty? Unless your name was uh, Alex Murtaugh. Recently, nobody wanted to say I'm guilty. If you didn't watch all that trial, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about, but... When you've been on the, on the witness stand for a month and a half and then you get back up and say, I've been lying. Uh, yeah, it's pretty obvious that that part of him sure didn't know the Lord, amen? Listen to me, listen to me carefully here. That man did not want to admit defeat. He still won't admit defeat. He won't come clean about what he has done and he's not any different than many people sitting on the pews of churches in America right now. God knows. God knows. He knows exactly what's in your heart today. He knows what you've been thinking while I've been preaching. He heard some of you think, well, that, look at that old codger He can barely get up on the platform. This is going to be boring. And it may be. I don't know. But you know what? God knows. He knows when your eyes went to something they shouldn't have gone to, He knows when your mind begins to get engaged in things that ought not be there. God knows. So whether it's ever discovered by anyone in this room or on this earth, doesn't matter. What matters is God in heaven knows. And if you want to be a, a, a bona fide, born again child of God, you have to admit that there are parts of you that you need to surrender completely to God. Completely to God. Not holding back, not looking for excuses. Just say, God, it's all yours. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I ever will have, it's yours. I, myself, am a prisoner now of you. Because, you see, God can't rule until you give up trying to rule. Boy, what happened to your amens? There's not even a bell up here or anything. God cannot rule in your life until you quit trying to rule. We have to admit our deficiencies. I've got mine. Have you got yours? If if you had to make a list right now of your deficiencies, would that make you excited? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you one thing it would do, it would help your prayer life immensely. You get on your knees and start saying, Lord, I didn't realize all this. See, true surrender is when you lay down your arms. You're not fighting against God anymore. You have to give up what you used to battle against God and those little things that you kept concealed. Nobody knows about them except you. I dealt with this personally in the last little while. But people can have grudges against other people, even against the preacher. Never say a word about it. Just sit right there in that seat. just like nothing is wrong. What does the Bible say about grudges? It says you can't keep them. <laughs> Plain as day. You can't keep them but you don't know what was done to me a long time ago. Keep on grudging. I'll tell you where it'll get you. Just partial surrender, that's it. Whatever's happened in your life is in the past. What you must do is focus on what you're going to do for God from this point on. If you're going to say, God, I've surrendered completely, totally, I'm yours, Lord. I'm, I'm not keeping anything from you anymore. I give that grudge away. God, you, you use it. You, you do with it what you want to. By the way, he has said, if you put that kind of stuff on him, he'll take it. He can carry the load. You can't. You sit there saying you can, but down inside, you're all eating up with it. You say, I don't have any grudges, Brother John. Good for you. Let me ask you a question, though. How long you had that critical nature? Is it always this quiet this time of morning? Is it? Let me know, Jake, if they're getting ready to attack. Will you please? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, critical nature? Sure you do. Oh. Everybody seems to like them, but if they knew what I knew about them... <laughs> Probably the worst critical comment I ever heard in my life was on an old friend of mine. Somebody commented about Bill Stafford in a terrible way. He was in a movie. I forget now what the movie was, but he was the, the neighbor in the movie. And, the, and, and every time you saw him, he had on a pair of cowboy boots, a pair of shorts hung down to here. And he, he looked like an old, old man who lived next door, and that's what he was supposed to look like. I went to see him at the movie at the theater. Brother Bell told me it's going to be good. You need to go see it. So I did. And uh, there was people talking all around the theater. You could hear him say, Well, that's Brother Bill Stafford right there. And then you hear somebody say, Can you believe he'd be wearing them shorts? Look at that. Look at his legs. <laughs> Sweetheart, let me tell you something. You just need to see your husband when he first gets out of bed in the morning. Hello? Most men over 40, if you get their clothes off of them, they look like a pair walking on toothpicks. (laughs) Amen. I don't know why God blesses me this way. I got this great big belly and I got these little bitty spindly things to hold me up. (laughs) You know why that's funny? Because it's so true. But why would they pick on a dear man like Bill Stafford because he's in a movie wearing what I call Bermuda shorts. I don't know what anybody else called them. But they've they got to find something critical to say. You know? <laughs> she's a sweet girl, but she's got blue hair. <laughs> Hello? Hello? You say, Brother John, they don't do things. Yes, some of you do that stuff. Come on, can we get honest today? If I'm here to preach this week, I'm going to preach. Let's get honest, all right? We want to keep that critical nature. We want to be able to look at people and say, you know what I think about, don't tell people what you think about that. I got even with my wife the other day. After all these years, I got even with her. She used to every time I would get infuriated at drivers. The devil's got a this whole battalion of people or demons or something. They, they, they head out, get in the car, and they're all looking to kill me. As a matter of fact, they all know I'm in Springfield because they honk and wave at me all the time. You get that on the way home. Amen. But every once in a while I get really irritated and I don't mean to do it. I really don't mean to do it. Lord knows my heart. I don't want to do this stuff. But there's old seed in there. Did you you listen to the text? There's old seed in there. And when they almost kill me every once in a while, I'm known to say, you idiot. They don't hear me. I can't honk. My horn don't work. And my wife, is, she heard this from Bill Stafford. He, he's really affected my life in a big way. She would look over at me and say, preach it, brother, preach it. You know. She thought that was so cute. I bet she did it 10 times a year. <laughs> preach it now, preach it now, preacher. The other day we were going through Springfield and it was a guy who decided to go between me and the car in the lane to my right. And he almost made it. And he swerved, thankfully, toward the other car. And he hit that car. He sideswiped it. Scared my wife to no end. And she said, Idiot! <laughs> and because I am such a sweet personality, I just sat there and said, Preach it, sister. <laughs> and you would have done the same thing, amen, yeah, yeah, I wish I wasn't that way, how many of you wish that you could get rid of your critical nature, how many of you, first of all, let's, let's just take a little test here this morning, how many of you will agree with me that there are times that your critical nature gets loose, amen, hallelujah, man, we got hands all over the place, brother, that would be a good invitation today. we got to get rid of that. We have to surrender that. Those sharp tongues. You all know what I'm talking about? How many of you are married? You know what I'm talking about. Sure you do. Everything's sweet and sugar when you come to church. Walk in the door, holding hands, looking good but then on the way home you remember what you were mad about before you got in here and then it's hey bozo and worse why do you do that sort of thing we've been married 30 years and you still won't listen to me if that just hit somebody personally that was just a figure I pulled out of the air But it happens. That old sharp tongue. We say, well, everybody's got a sharp tongue. You better be careful. You better be careful. The the Lord tells us that we are judged by our speech. By every word that comes out of our mouths. Be careful with that sharp tongue. One of these days, I believe we're going to stand before God, give an account of the deeds done in our body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. That's what the word says. So we have to get rid of those things, the small things that we kept concealed. But the big deal is surrendering your will. We are free-willed creatures. How do you surrender your will? In Luke twenty-two forty-one. It says, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I think the Lord was teaching us that the Father's will must always be followed, It says in John chapter 5 verse 30 I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of the Father which has sent me. You know the Father's way is always the right way. It's always just, always fair, always good. We cannot say that for our own will. Now I want to close with this kind of thought today. Absolute surrender means a change of location. In John, I'm sorry, James chapter 4 verse 4. He says, you adulterers and you adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Did you hear it? Do you think the scripture says in vain the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore he said God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. What does that saying? It's very simple. We've got to quit trying to lift ourselves up. Let the Lord do the work. There's a song that's sung quite often now and I'm sure you sing it here I'm no longer a slave to sin I am a child of God. That's very true. I like the words to some of those songs uh, because they really speak to how we are living our lives. And if you're living your life as a slave to sin then you cannot be a slave to the Lord. Nobody can serve two masters. You cannot love the world where sin resides and sin is perpetuated. All of our affection belongs to God. I uh, I was leaving the church where I'd been an interim for the last eight months, just last weekend. And they had a little thing downstairs and there were people came by and We had cake and and a card shower and things like that. And they were letting Sherry and I know that they were appreciative of us being there. And they, uh, not everyone, but many of them would pat me on the shoulder and say, well, what are you going to do now? Go fishing? I said, no. I have revivals scheduled. Several, in fact. That's what I'm going to be doing. One sweet lady patted me on the shoulder and she said, Preacher, you're going to have to realize you're getting old. She was older than me. She won't admit it, but she is. But yet, you need to slow down, Preacher. Well, her mouth wasn't slowed down. I'm kidding. She's a sweet lady. How do you surrender yourself and put a time limit on that? It's obvious you don't. I tried it. I retired from here. Sure did. Built a house. Moved to my retirement home. That was two homes ago. Uh, I'd I'd, I'd preached about it before. Said you can't retire from ministry. You just can't do it. But I tried it. (laughs) See, I know a little bit about what I'm preaching about this morning. That partial surrender. But the Lord reminded me of what I'd preached for all those years. He said, "Was you lying? Did you really mean it?" I mean it, Lord. If if you have to to hear me preach somewhere where they've drugged me up on the platform and set me in a in a, a little chair where I can't fall out and hurt somebody else, I'll still be trying to preach. Notice I said trying. Because the Lord reminded me that I surrendered to him. I don't have any out. And you say, Well, this is not about you, Brother John. No, but you know what? I'm, I, when I'm speaking to myself I'm speaking about you as well not a person in this room that's been given permission to just not do anything for the Lord you've got to surrender everything for as long as you live you've got to put it you said, well don't preachers ever get to retire well I've been told all my life they're retired on every day except Sunday anyway So, no, they they don't get to retire. They might get to slow down. The Lord will do that. He'll slow you down. But I don't believe that anybody has permission to just quit on God. Why did I choose to preach this opening message, 8 o'clock in the morning, at a church that I know is full of godly people? Why would I do that? Because when I said I researched, I really did research a lot for weeks. That's what I did every day was try to find out what was going on in our convention and around this country that was causing the problem with churches and, and preachers. And I'm convinced that partial surrender is a big problem. That's the thing that's underlying everything else. As good as this church is, if every person in it would get on their face before God and say, God, I truly do want revival. I don't want to just go through the motions and go listen to some old guy preach again. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is have my life changed to where I literally am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I need in my life. That's what I want. And if that happens, revival will take place. And if it doesn't happen, I promise you, it will not make a difference. Even if we have some folks saved this week, it it will not make a difference just a little ways down the road. Because people will forget and go right back to the same thing. So the reason that I preached this this morning was I want you to hear basically what's wrong. Why we don't have revival happening. Why churches are closing. And I love this church, and I love, I don't know all of you personally. Every time I come here, there's new people here, and that's great, amen? But I want you to know that as much as I love this, this people in this place, I'm not going to assume that the, the sermon is misspent. I believe it landed where it should. So I'm going to ask you just now, if you would, to stand, bow your heads with me. The first thing I want to do and make sure that we do at every service is to, is to determine if there's somebody here today that needs the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. You're not sure that if you died you'd go to heaven. Say I'm just not sure, preacher. Just not sure. If you cannot say for sure, that's where you would go. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I'm going to ask you just now just to be honest before God. I won't come to you. am not going to call you later. I'm not going to tell Jake who you are or anything like that. All I'm going to do is pray for you. But if you're not sure heaven would be your home if you died right now then I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand so I can see it and pray for you today. All I'm going to do is pray God bless you sir. Anybody else you can put your hand down. Anyone else I'm just not sure brother John. Include me in the prayer. Anyone else in this room today that would just say that, that includes me, preacher. Pray for me. Anyone else? Our Father in heaven, I ask you just now in the name of Jesus that you would clarify in the mind of the one who raised a hand just now that you would make it sure for them. Your word tells us in the book of John that we can know that we are your children. And so, Father, I pray that you'll make that happen whether it's something from the past that makes them unsure or whether they've never really asked the Lord into their heart, whatever the case, I ask you just now to settle it once and for all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I'm going to give an invitation now to the rest of this church, but if you want to come today, I'll be right here. If you want to come, The word says God's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance, and that includes you. God does not want you to perish. He wants you to be a child of his. So right at invitation when I'm asking people to come, you come. If you want Jesus in your heart today, you want to know that you know that you know, you come when I invite. Church, I don't know how you handle messages like this anymore. I haven't been here for a while. But I'm going to ask you just now. There's altars here. I know you know how to use them. You've used them for years. But I'm going to ask you today to surrender all. Really mean it. Lord, I surrender all. Not partial, not some. All. All to Thee I freely give. That's what the Lord is demanding of us today. So just now as they begin to play and sing, you come. If you need to come find yourself a place in this altar, you come. If you need to be saved, you come right now. Come on. Lord's waiting on you.